You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. All of these lines across my face tell you the story. Welcome to Kensington. We're so glad you're here with us today. If we haven't met yet, I'm Taylor Kanagowski, Interim Director of Internships here at Kensington. I have a couple of announcements, but first, let's celebrate the Hope Water Project Gala that took place last weekend. We have a long-standing commitment to bring clean water to the Pocot people of Kenya, but we've never held a fundraiser quite like this before. There was a delicious dinner, entertainment from some super talented artists, and a few words from our founding pastor, Steve Andrews, and Craig McGlasson from our Orient campus. By the end of the weekend, we received enough donations to dig five new wells in that dry region, which will literally save thousands of lives in build communities. With water, everything is possible. 
health, education, churches, and more. We are so grateful for those of you who attended the gala and all of you who continue to support this mission that God has put in front of us. So my first invitation may be for you or may be meant for you to pass along to someone you know. Come work with us. That's right. Come work here at Kensington. Join our staff. We currently have several full and part-time positions open. So let me ask you three questions. One, have you been wishing you could do something more purposeful with your time? Two, does your heart thrill over a mission to transform neighborhoods, communities, and the entire world in the name of Jesus? And three, do you want to work in an authentic, community-oriented workplace? If you answered yes to all three, then you are a match. Browse our open positions at kensingtonchurch.org jobs or on the Kensington Church app. I'd also like to extend an invitation to young adults ages 18 to 29 to join our community-based ministry. 1829 is what we call this community, and no matter what campus you attend on Sundays, we all come together on Tuesday evenings at our Troy campus. During this season, there is a deep need for having community and establishing a family, especially for young adults. But we're also in a season when we're afraid to commit to things, even to people. So I'm going to ask you to take a risk. If you are a young adult who is ready to connect in a great community, take a risk. If you are a young adult who wants to grow in your faith, take a risk. If you're a young adult that wants to make new friends, take a risk. Take the risk and join us at 1829. We can't wait to get to know you. Let's return now to our service. I'm excited about starting our new series, The Power of a Story. We're focusing on the thought-provoking stories told by Jesus, the master storyteller. Let's listen together. Good morning, good morning, Kensington. We're so grateful that you're here in the seats and that you're joining with us online. I'm so excited to be here. My name is Sonia, and I'm part of the Clinton Township team here. Um, And I got two opportunities that I am super excited that I get to share with you. The first one is um, Kensington staff. Taylor mentioned it, but I just have to come back and endorse it. I've been on staff for 18 years, and I can't tell you what an honor that God still uses me here today. I'm going to get emotional. Um, It truly is an honor to be here and to be on mission with a great group of people. I have really deep relationships with a lot of people on staff. It's one of the highlights at the end of my life that I'll look back and be grateful for. So if that's something that you want purpose in your life and you want to be on mission, check out the jobs at Kensington. We're one church, many campuses. Here at the Clinton Township campus, we only have a part-time um, facilities director. So if you like to join the best team, no, I'm just kidding. It's all, we're all one family. Seriously, we love each other. We're all one. But um, anyways, we have... Um, gear that is coming to us next weekend at the Clinton Township campus. We'll be selling it here in the lobby. And so some of this gear is um, from past. We're having a hard time getting inventory. We're working really, really hard to get a whole new gear line for fall. So um, in the meantime, we'll have some gear available for you next Sunday in the lobby. Um, Also, one thing I want to bring attention to is there's a study guide online um, and it's if you if you're online and you see watch your campus down below that oh I think they made a slide um, it will say um, study guide these are tools that our discipleship directors put together so we could grow deeper with Jesus throughout the week there's scriptures that were used in the messages and so it it helps us throughout the week in our relationship with Jesus if we want to go deeper or Um, What we used to do is use it in our small group. So we use it like a study guide in our small group to help us um, connect deeper with Jesus. It's a great tool. We just wanted to bring attention to to you. Um, If you are new here, we are so grateful that you decided to come and spend it with us. We have a gift for you at the Hub. It is um, the the area in the lobby. It's in the center of the lobby. It's called the hub. There's orange shirt volunteers out there. They're here to answer any questions that you have. If you are new, we have a special gift for you. If you have any questions ever, just go out to the hub. They will be able to answer any questions that you might have. So there's nothing like a story, as you heard in the, in the song. Our next series is talking about um, 
the power of a story. And so I love um, Jesus's parables. There, there's nothing like when someone invites you in and tells you their story, there's a connection. And that's what God wants to use in his parables. So we're going to dive into that in our next series. But stand up and say hello to someone next to you. All through human history, we have told each other's stories. Initially, it was verbally through a spoken word, and then eventually we picked up paper and ink and we wrote our stories out. And now, don't we live in an amazing age where we have video and we have virtual reality and we have green screens and we love our stories, especially on the big screen. But you know, we would be mistaken if we thought of stories only as entertainment because there's so much more than that. Stories, I believe, are the most powerful means of communication. And the reason is because, as it turns out, we do not think in words. We think in pictures. And if you don't believe me, we're going to do a little thought experiment here. Let's imagine after the service, I'm in the lobby, I come up to you, and of course, I would never do this, but I say, would you describe your living room in your apartment or your house? And so imagine that moment right now, and you're looking at me, and you're going to describe it. So right now, you're thinking about your living room. Are you thinking? Right, here's what's going on in your mind right now. You're not thinking words like lamp, sofa, coffee table. What you did is you began to play a video in your mind. You watched a video. And you could see it in your imagination, and then you began to talk, and you had to pull words to describe what you saw. That's how we think. And so again, stories are amazing and they're powerful because what they do is they tap into our imagination and they do way more than just transfer information. They take us to places deep in our hearts, even emotionally. I don't know if you've had this experience where you're reading a story or maybe you're, in a, you're watching a story and you feel almost ambushed by what's going on in your heart. It's not even your story, but somehow you've been drawn into the story and you're connected to the story and you're relating to the story and you feel something deeply. You know, you feel great joy or you feel deep sorrow. You you might even laugh out loud at a story. People do that around me in the theater. I do it sometimes. Or you sit there quietly with tears coming down because of story. You know, modern research uh, has discovered that we are we we are 20 times more likely to remember facts if they're communicated in a story rather than just given to us. Something about it, it just sticks with us. So Jesus, I don't know if you know this, but 35% of the words of Jesus found in the Gospels are embedded in stories. So I think Jesus understood how this works. That story has the capacity to help us to think more deeply. It takes spiritual realities that feel kind of abstract and it has the ability to make them more concrete. They become more alive as we connect with the story on a deeper level. So Jesus was, as Sonia said, he is a master storyteller. His story, like any great stories, has all the elements. There's intrigue, mystery, tension, conflict, a twist in the plot, and even sometimes a surprising ending. And so I'm really excited that we get to go on a four-week journey of leaning into Jesus' stories, or parables as we call them. One today, and then for the next three weeks, a different story. And our hope and our prayer for us as we do this is that we will connect to the story personally. It's someone else's story, but suddenly we find ourselves in the story. That's what we're going to ask you to do, to lean into the story, to see your place in the story. And through that, to be challenged, convicted, encouraged, directed, and we hope in the end, transformed. So let's begin. There once were two brothers. Both wanted to build a home for their family, so together they went to the master builder. 
The first brother listened intently, taking notes as the master builder spoke. But feeling bored and a little hungry, the second brother sighed. Why are we wasting our time with all these details? He thought. When the brothers left the master builder, both went in search of the perfect place to build their home. The first brother spent hours surveying the land, but the second brother did not. The first brother sought out the best materials he could find, while the second brother grabbed the cheapest materials possible. And so it went. For months, the brothers worked. The first brother often referred back to the master builder's plans, while the second cut corners, eager to finish early. One day, the second brother walked past his brother's home. I have to say, brother, your home is nice, but not nearly as big as mine. And it's taken you twice as long. But the first brother just smiled and went about his work. The seasons changed and the brothers worked, one finishing much earlier than the other, until both homes were complete. But that very night, a storm rolled in over the hills. As the rain fell, the second brother began to notice leaks in the ceiling. The storm grew, and while the first brother played games by the fire with his family, the second brother frantically nailed a tarp to his leaking roof. The second brother spent the night carrying buckets of water, boarding up windows, and doing whatever he could to keep his home from being destroyed. When the storm cleared, the second brother was exhausted. Trudging through the soggy debris, he looked out over the hill. And there, to his surprise, he saw his brother's home, standing tall, untouched, in the morning light. So maybe you recognize it as a version of the story that we're going to look at today, our, our very first story. Um, I, I just want to say, personally, it's so great to be back. Um, I've enjoyed the last 15 months, and now that I'm kind of pulling away a little bit, it's been a little hard and painful for me. It's a joy to be here. But I, when I'm not here, I am part of the online community every week. I watch from my apartment in New York. Uh, so grateful for Adam. Aren't you grateful for Adam that God brought him to us? Yeah. So uh, many years ago, a, a wise sage, I hope you have a wise sage in your life, uh, was talking about the parables of Jesus, and he gave me this advice. He said, Craig, when you read a parable, what you really need to do is to not identify with the hero of the story, because that's probably not going to ever be you. That's not why the Jesus told the story. Identify with the other guy, because that's where the growth is going to come. And so I really tried to put that into practice, rather than just assuming that I got this and I'm good to go. So for example, probably the best known story of Jesus is the story of the Good Samaritan. And if you know the story, a man is left to die, and uh, two really fine, upstanding men come by, a priest and a Levite, and they see the man half dead, about to die, and they just go on their way. And then the Samaritan comes. So like in that story, I'd like to believe I'm the Samaritan, but probably too often I'm the Levite or I'm the priest. And so I'm going to give that same advice to you starting today um, as we press into these stories. Open your heart to the possibility that maybe this is me. Maybe this story is for me. Maybe when I imagine, use my imagination. By the way, you know what the word imagination means? It's a Latin word and it means to picture to oneself. And so the key, I think, starting today in all of these is to use your imagination, activate your imagination as we press into the story and then see where Jesus might be challenging you uh, in terms of where you can grow. So we're going to start, we're going to take the offering right away today and then we're going to dive into the story and we're going to live in, in it for about 30 minutes um, and try to bring it alive and activate our imagination. But as we do, uh, take the offering, you saw the, um, we announced it last week, you saw pictures of it. Isn't it extraordinary when you see those, those children rushing the water? Something we take for granted. All of us turned on the faucets, the showers today, the water came out, clean water. But to see the joy in, in their lives and the transformation, both physically and spiritually for them, it's one of many things that our offerings do uh, to change people's lives and change the world. So we're so grateful. And you can see the ways to give. There's a number you can text, your, on, you can use your app, or you can go to our website. Or if you brought a check today or cash on your way out, there's a place to give. Um, this is how we do the work of Jesus. It's fueled by our resources, uh, both our gifts, our talents. Um, and so again, thank you for being on mission with us. So um, this story begins with a question, at least Matthew's version. We find the story in Matthew and Luke. And in Matthew's version, uh, he recorded a question that Jesus asked to start the story. And whenever you encounter a question of Jesus, man, it's time to just stop and lean in and pay attention. So this is the question 
I personalized it. I want you to see it on the screen. So um, here's what Jesus asked. Craig, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then don't do what I say? I just want that one to sit for a moment. Now, here I want you to use your imagination because I'll say more about this later. When I first heard this story and this question when I was younger, much younger, there was a tone that I don't think was intended in it. So I want to tell you what I think the tone is. So now, right now, here's your, use your imagination. So instead of me in the lobby after the service talking about your living room, I want you to imagine that Jesus comes up to you and he puts his hand on your shoulders and he looks you in the eyes and there's not a stern, angry look. There's an inviting look, really a loving look. And he says, he wouldn't say Craig to you, but he, to me, he says, Craig, Craig, why do you call me Lord? And then you don't do what I say. So that's the question that sets up the story. And I'll tell you, he doesn't answer the question in the story because only you can answer that question. Only I can answer that question. But he uses this as a way to set up the story. And so the first thing, there's two parts to the question. So let's start there. The first part is this. Do I call him Lord? What does that even mean? You know, to see someone as your Lord uh, simply means that they're in charge. You might think of a word like boss, CEO, king. It's someone whose authority that I'm under, I submit to that authority, or at least I'm supposed to. And in all those cases, uh, I might not have any, you know, if you're a child, your parent is your Lord. They have authority over you, and you submit to them. You're supposed to submit to them. But in this case, Jesus has not forced himself to be Lord over anyone's life. It's an invitation. When he said to his disciples, the original disciples, and he said the same thing to us, if you're a Jesus follower, that's because you heard him say to you to follow him. And you say yes. So he's saying, essentially, he's saying, why would you say yes, I'll follow you, and then you don't? So that's the first part of the question. Understand what Lord is. Here's the second part. Um, then I don't do what he says. And so that part of the question provokes me to honestly look in the mirror and ask this question. And I want you to do it right now. Have you ever called Jesus Lord and not done, ever not done what he said to do? I don't know if you're saying you've done that or you've never done it. I'm not sure how to interpret your hand. Sometimes. Sometimes. Okay. When I asked myself this question in preparation, this is what I actually wrote down. Yes, like all the time. Are you kidding me? So I'm one of those people. In the parable now, I'm the person who from time to time calls Jesus Lord and doesn't actually do what he says. Which actually means, if you can picture this, Jesus, you're my Lord. I'm, I'm going to follow you. And so Jesus says, great, because I love you and I want you to follow me and build your life on me. And so he starts walking because if you're following someone, they're going somewhere and you're following them, you're going with them. And so Jesus is going here. And I said, yes, I, you're my Lord. I'm following you. And then he looks around and I'm over there walking that way. Like, that's really what's in the question. It's kind of, there's an absurdity to the question. Craig, what are you doing? And he said, well, I do want to follow you, but in this case, I think I got a little bit of a better plan. There, I, there's something I want to do, and it's not where you're going, so I'm going to go my own way. So Jesus is posing the question now. Now we're going to get into the story. Why would you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? So what he actually does now is he tells the story about two builders who build two buildings or houses using very different methods of construction that have very different results or outcomes. Why would Jesus tell this story in response to his question? Because he wants to activate in us a motivation to follow him more closely. He's given us a reason, a rationale, a motivation. It's beyond obedience. And see, this is the thing. If you grew up religious, if you grew up in a religious home, um, like I did, very religious, um, the activation was always, it's commanded, do it. And it was guilt if you didn't do it, and it was fear if you didn't do it. And so that was really primarily the motivation. I don't think that's in this story at all. I think Jesus wants to show us the consequences of making the choices we make. If you call me Lord and you do what I say, you're this kind of builder. If you call me Lord and you don't do what I say, you're this kind of builder. And the consequences are going to be very different. So here's the first one, the first building, building number one. Jesus says, 
As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, that's the woman or the man who says, Lord, and does what he says. Everyone who hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck, and the house, but that the house but could not shake it because it was well built. So here's what Jesus is telling us. He's telling us um, in, through the story how to have a well-built life. Because it's not about building a house. That's just the story. It's about having a well-built life. Every one of us, every day, are building a life. Every moment, we build our lives brick by brick, choice by choice, attitude by attitude, decision by decision, word by word. Everything we do is building some kind of life. And he said the one that builds the foundation on actually following me is building on the rock that is Jesus, the solid rock. And then that house as it's constructed, as our life is constructed, when stuff comes, and does stuff come? Storms come? Financial problems, relationship problems, financial problems, job problems, problems, problems. It's part of life. Do you ever wake up thinking, I hope today there's no problems? Well, some days we get lucky enough to have a day like that, but they come. And Jesus, because he loves us, he puts his hands on our shoulders and says, hey, I got an idea. Call me Lord and then do what I say. Because if you do, you're going to build a, together we'll build a solid life on me as your Lord. And then when the stuff comes, it's going to be able to stand. Now, I know some of you are in the construction trades. I, I do it as a hobby, which means I don't do it very well. But I took on a project 20 years ago. This is almost the 20th anniversary. It'll be this, um, this spring. So um, 20 years ago, my wife and I moved from, we made the great migration from Oakland County to Macomb County. And I was on staff at Kensington, and eventually I was involved in starting this church in Clinton Township. So we moved to Washington Township, and we had a new house built. I didn't build any of it. I put all the flooring in, did some other things. But uh, it was, a, it was uh, the backyard, it was a two-level house, and I wanted to build a deck, and I figured I could do a deck. So I did the plan, submitted them to the township, and they approved it. And I had to put all these posts down, and you got to go down 42 inches. Do I have that number right, construction people? I think I remember 42 inches. And I, so I went out and bought all the lumber, and I got it all ready. And I had to go down, and I had a, just a regular post hole digger. And uh, I had to put 12 4 by 4 posts down. And I found out Washington Township is clay. You know what that means? Clay with rocks, by the way. So it took forever, and I got, wouldn't you know, I got 11 of them done. And the 12th one, I got about two feet down and thunk. And it just, and, it, and I'm down there now reaching in trying to dig, and I'm not going anywhere. There, there, there could be like a 10 by 10 boulder down there. I can't, I'm weeks trying to get this done. I can't do it. So I, I called the inspector out, and I said, can I, I, you see the other 11, they're all right. This one's only like, at this point, maybe two and a half feet, but it's on solid rock. Can I just, can you just pass me? Jerk. Now, that wasn't very nice. <laughs> See, I don't always do what he says. He just proved it right there. He said, no, you got to get down 42 inches. And so I literally, for another week, was on my stomach with a tablespoon, carving the clay out from around the rock, and the hole got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I eventually got there. And so I was thinking about this this week as I was preparing the message, and I said, I'm going to go see if the deck is still standing. So here's the picture of it. Two level. I built that. 20 years, the storms and torrents have come, and it still stands because you got to get down on a solid foundation. So that's the first house. Is the meaning clear? Jesus is inviting us, lovingly inviting us to build our lives on him. And the way we do that is we call him Lord, and then we actually do what he says. We'll never do it perfectly. That's where grace comes in and forgiveness. He knows we'll never be perfect, but is that our intent, to build our life on him? Now, the second house I think it's pretty clear where the story is going. Um, the other person, the other man, as you saw in the little cartoon, uh, Jesus says, the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. This person in this house is building a life that's just waiting to unravel. And I will tell you that I spent years of my life identifying as a Christian, not building my life on that foundation. 
occasionally doing what he said when it suited me, but very often not. I learned to put on a really good appearance on the outside, but had all kinds of messiness inside of me. And I will tell you that my life was unraveling. Jesus knows that about us. He made us. He knows how we're wired and designed to operate. And when we operate outside of the instructions, it's like building a house on sand. And it's going to collapse. It's very unstable. So you know the storm that just hit the East Coast, the Nor'easter, as they call it? Um, I, I was intending to fly here Friday night, and I was looking at the weather forecast, and I said, I'm never going to get out of town. So I changed my flight. I'm so glad I did. And I've been watching, like you on the news, the snow hit. Um, it hit New York City, not too bad, although my wife said the dog will not go out. He took two steps and said, are you kidding me? And went back in. Um, but uh, it hit, it slammed the East Coast pretty hard. And so I've been looking at all the pictures, and I want to show you what a house might look like that's not built on a solid foundation. So this is in Cape Cod. This picture is from uh, the 28th of January, and they know that, the, that because of the nor'easter, the water's going to come in, the tide's going to be high, 15 to 20-foot waves are coming in. Here's another view of the house. You think the house is going to make it? Now, I feel bad for the owner. I'm not criticizing the owner. I think probably it was built 100 yards from shore a while ago, and it just keeps eroding. But see, when there's no foundation down, this is what happens. It collapses. It cannot sustain the pressure of the waves and the wind and the rain. And so again, with Jesus, his hands on your shoulders, looking you in the eyes with love, he says to you, I don't want that for you. I don't want that for you. Will you build your life on me? Let me build with you. And the way we do that is we say, yes, you are Lord, and yes, I will follow you. I will make the decisions to surrender my life. I'll let you be my CEO. Because we are, each of us, building a life. So let's go back to the question now again. With the picture of two houses in mind, two lives in mind, two kinds of lives. Jesus said, why would you do this? Call me Lord and not do what I say. And as I said, when I was young, I heard this as a threatening story. Actually, I heard it something like this. Well, Jesus says, you better do what he says or he's going to knock your house down. Like, literally, that's how I heard it. Like, God's just waiting. You don't do what I say. You call me Lord, then you disobey me. I'm getting the wrecking ball coming in and knock your house down. And it got even worse than that because in the context of my life, somehow they made this story about going to hell. Like, that's the destruction he's talking about. That is not what he's talking about. He's talking about the life we live now. And the question is, what kind of life do we want to live? And I know, I think all of us would answer the question the same way. We want health, we want safety, we want security, we want relationship, we want meaning, we want purpose, we want love. And I would say, God, yes, he wants all of that for us. How do we get that? He says, I'm showing you the way. Call me Lord and do what I say. Now I hear the story this way. Craig, I love you. I'm inviting you into a life of abundance and joy and meaning and purpose if you build your life on me and follow me, let me lead you, then I promise you, you will build a solid, stable life. Not a life without problems. The storms are going to come. But you're going to be able to withstand the storms because you've built your life on me. So he's asking us what? To trust him. And to respond to the invitation to follow him and to let him be the CEO of our lives. And so I want to think for just a moment about why I'm going to answer the question how I answered it. Because I tried to take my own medicine when I was preparing this message. I read the story, and I went back to my wife's age, his advice, and I said, okay, I'm going to see myself more as the man who's building on sand. And I'm going to ask the question, why would I do that? And I came up with two answers. And I don't know if you'll relate to these or not, but these are the two ways that I answer the question. I'm having a conversation with Jesus now. And... The first answer that I came up with is that, well, Jesus, when I accepted you, I accepted you as my Savior to forgive my sins. That was the deal. I don't know about this Lord thing. Because that's really how I started. I can go all the way back to my childhood, and when the gospel was introduced to me, it was in the context of not going to hell when you die. Was, I've told the story before. I was six years old, scared to death of going to hell, and so I prayed the prayer, and I got saved, and now Jesus is my Savior. And so he's taken care of my life for when I die. And then the rest was about the rules. The Bible is the rules, follow the rule book. So I accepted him as my savior. So the reason why I would call him Lord and 
not do what he says is that, in a sense, I, I lived a lot of my life not calling him Lord, actually. Not really wanting him to be Lord, not really inviting him into that level of involvement in my life to transform my life. I had a Savior, I believed. But I wasn't really thinking about surrender and submission to him other than maybe fear motivating. I was all, I was all obsessed with heaven. And if you ask me about Jesus, that's what I would point you to. He forgave my sins. When I die, I go to heaven. But I wasn't in the mix of the beautiful relationship following Jesus that brings transformation and builds a solid life. I do have to tell you, by the way, that I've got heaven covered now for sure. I had had an amazing about one hour in Manhattan on Thursday night. So we're packing up our apartment because we have to move to a different apartment, and I needed to get to Home Depot to get some tape and stuff. So it's about a mile from my apartment, Beautiful evening in New York, eve of the storm coming in. So I walked, I walked toward, um, toward Home Depot, and I was almost there, and, I, and I'm trying to be more attentive to what's going on around me, and, and sometimes I am and sometimes I'm not. So I see this short little older lady with a, one of those carts, her own shopping cart, trying to get into a grocery store, and the door's closed, and she's struggling. So I stop walking. I go in there. I just step in, very simple act of kindness. I just open up the door for her. And she looks at me kind of surprised, uh, maybe thought she was getting mugged at first, and then I don't look too threatening, so I hold the door open, and she pushes her cart through, and then she says, Sonny, Sonny, come here. So I step inside the door, and she looks me in the eyes, and she goes, thank you, you're going to heaven. <laughs> so I got that covered now. But th- I wish that was the end of the story. So I get my stuff at Home Depot, I walk home. I'm, almost, I'm a block from my house, crossing Park Avenue, and there's a guy crossing, and he's coming t- right at me, and I'm looking at this guy, and I've, you know, I've been mugged before, so I'm, I always got my alert up a little bit, and I can tell by his gait and his walk that he's, he's high on something, um, looked like maybe heroin, and he comes up right up to me, and he says, can you, can you give me some money for food? And I know it's not for food, so I said, I, I said I'm sorry, but not tonight, and I I just walk away, and I get about three steps away, and he's turned around, and he, he yells this at me. I hope when you get home, your family's dead. So I got the curse. So I got the blessing, and I got the curse. And I was able to just dismiss that because he's not in his right mind. But anyhow, I just want to let you know that I got heaven covered now for sure. So I'm not worried about that anymore. I'm going to take that blessing. But if you look at the words of Jesus, let's go back to what Jesus did actually in the Gospels. 30 years Living in Nazareth, he's a carpenter, and then he begins his public ministry. And what he did is he invited people to follow him. He started with a group of disciples, but there were way more than 12 people by the end of his ministry that were with him. There were crowds. Some of them walked away eventually, but many stayed with him. And then at the very end of uh, after his death and resurrection, you know this commission that he gave to us as followers of Jesus. In Matthew 28, he said, go make disciples which means men and women who call him Lord and do what he says. That's what a disciple is. It's a student who's in submission, following the teaching of his teacher. He said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey. Call him Lord, do what he says. Everything I've commanded you. Can I go so far as to take the risk of saying this to you today? Jesus was not interested in assembling a group of people who believed so they would go to heaven when they died. He was interested in assembling a group of men and women and children who would believe and submit to his loving leadership so they would have a transformed life, transforming others, and then when they died, they would be with him. He wanted all of that. Not part one or part two, that's the whole package. In fact, when he had a crowd one time following him, he said these words to them. This maybe is not the best way to fill every seat in a church. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. In today's language, I would say he wants us to be all in. That's what he was interested in. Why? Because he loves us. And if you do anything half in, never works. All in. And this, of all the most important things in life, to be all in with Jesus is what he was interested in, inviting us to be all in. 
One of the books that really impacted my life years ago was called The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. In, in chapter 8, I encountered this line. He says, most Christians never become fully devoted, devoted followers of Jesus because they do not intend to. That was me for many years. That was not my intention. So I was building my house on sand because I was calling him Lord, but not doing what he said. So the first thing is I thought about his question is, is the question, is Jesus my Savior only or is my Savior and my Lord? And then here's the second thing I thought about. Why would I call him Lord and not do what he says? And I still do it every day in some areas. And what I came up with in this is that I think whenever I do that, it shows that I don't really know or trust him. You know, Adam gave a, a great message midweek a couple weeks ago where he's talking about the original lie from Satan. When he came to Adam and Eve and he said, has God really said you can't eat of this? And he, really, you know, you're not going to die. He, he began to sow distrust that God's way is the best way. And I think when there's a fork in the road and Jesus is going this way and I know I should follow him and I decide to go over here, in that moment I think I know better or I don't trust that that's the best path. He's withholding something from me that will make me feel good, that will bring me pleasure, or that will make my life better. And so I, make, I become my own Lord in that moment. No, I, I'm the CEO of my life, Jesus. Your way is not better. My way is better. And that's a lie. His way is better. And so if I don't do it, I think there's an issue of trust or really love, loving him and believing that he loves me. Near the end of Jesus' life on earth, he... Um, in his final conversation with the disciples, he said a lot. You find this in John 13, 14, 15, wonderful chapters. But there's this amazing, remarkable statement that he made there. With his disciples, he said that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. I've thought long and hard about that simple sentence, and here's why. I've always thought most of my life that if I'm disobeying God, the problem is disobedience, and what I need to do is obey. And what Jesus is saying here is that if you disobey me, the problem is not disobedience, the problem is love. Because if you love, you submit. If you love and you trust, you want to submit. Because this person loves you, and you, they, they have your best interest in mind. I think this is, for me, the most profound answer to is, why do you call me Lord and don't do what I say? It's because I don't know him well enough to trust him. I haven't experienced enough of his love, and so I want to go my own way. But when you experience the love of Jesus on a regular basis, when you experience intimacy with Jesus on a regular basis, when you feel the closest of Jesus, you don't want to do anything that threatens that because it's like the air you breathe. You know why? Think about human relationships as an example of this. If, if my wife says to me, are you faithful to me? And my answer to her is yes, because I'm commanded to be. How long do you think I'll stay married? I'm a rule follower, Chris. You know, I'm going to do what the Bible tells me to do. She wants me to want to be with her and to be faithful to her. And by the way, I want to be with her and be faithful. I've been married 30, 36 years now. Okay. Yes. And I made a promise 36 years ago that I intended to keep and I've kept it. But what, what has kept me keeping it is not the law of it. That's not powerful enough to keep me loving my wife. Loving my wife is what keeps me loving my wife. It's the relationship that we have. Could it maybe work this way with Jesus? How many years have you known Jesus? Are you getting to know him more? Are you pressing into that relationship? Are you every now and then turning off the streaming on Netflix and spending some time? Are you praying? Are you meditating? Are you journaling? Are you listening? Are you worshiping? Because that's how it grows, and that's how love grows, and that's how trust grows, and that's where submission comes from. That's the wisdom of these simple words that Jesus said to his disciples in John 14. He says, listen, guys, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. So what is the assignment? Learn to love me more. So when Jesus, again, I see, imagine him now, his hands on your shoulders. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? I, I might have two answers. Well, I, I didn't really sign up for this, but I want to now. Like, I'm a believer, but I want you to be my Lord. And so I want to submit. And then he's going to say, okay, he's going to address the second thing. He's going to say, then I, what I need you to do is get to know me. And it's more than coming to church on a Sunday. 
This is a good catalyst. This is a good place to get inspired and to get motivated in some instruction, but it's got to be something that we choose to connect to on a regular basis because no relationship grows with this kind, without this kind of investment. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave two questions with you for this week and, and an assignment within one of the questions for you to consider to do, for all of us to do. The first one is this. The question is, honestly ask, is it my intent that Jesus be my Lord? Is that my intent? It's not a hard question, because we know. How we live shows it. How we spend our time shows it. What we do with Jesus shows it. Is it my intent for Jesus to be my Lord? Do I intend to follow him? And then here's the second question. Am I growing in my knowledge of Jesus in his love for me so that I trust him? And you know, you don't grow quickly overnight. This is a long process. This is getting down and digging the clay with a spoon and staying at it to build that solid foundation. And most importantly, and I prayed about this as I worked on this message, more than anything, what I want you to hear is a loving voice of invitation in this message. Not guilt, not shame, not finger pointing, not threatening to knock your house down. He loves you so much. He loves each of us so much. And he wants us to have the abundant life. And the abundant life comes when we build our lives, our house, day by day on the foundation that's Jesus. So we have a a couple tools to help us all grow in this series. Um, Sonia mentioned one um, in her greeting today, the study guide. I would encourage you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, all week long to take a little bit of time to lean into the story more and hear what he has to say to you. And then we're doing something I don't think we've done before. I'm going gonna, gonna, gonna to put a screen up if you want to get your phone out and take a picture of this. Um, we're going to invite you to text this number and just put the word story in. Text story to this number. And we're going to send you some things during the week, digital devotionals. Um, words, thoughts, a worship song, something that will help you connect with Jesus who has his arms open wide to us saying, come on, let me, let's build a house together. Let's build your life together. And having that number, by the way, then you can also, if you want prayer requests or questions or anything, you can also inform us through that number. We're not going to bug you 10 times a day. Don't worry about that. We're just going to, if you want it, we're going to assist you this week and the weeks to come to stay in the story. Jesus loves us way too much to leave us alone. That's why I ask a question like this. He's not angry. He's not frustrated. He's longing. He longs for you, for each of us. He longs for us to know the intimacy of the relationship that can be transforming. And he knows the storms that are coming. And he knows the kind of lives that we need to build that can withstand the storms. God, I just pray in this moment, Jesus, I ask that we will hear your invitation to live under your wise, loving, life-changing leadership. And to know, Jesus, that your desire is to be our Savior, which will take care of the life to come, but you also desire to be our Lord, which will take care of the life that we're living right now. In your name, amen. is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand, when everything around me shaking, I've never been so glad that I put my faith in Jesus, he's never let me down, he's faithful through change.
this service, and very rarely does this happen, but I was listening to you just a playlist this week, and this song came up, and I instantly fell in love with this song, and I was like, oh my gosh, we're speaking about this this weekend, and so it just makes sense for us to sing this song because it just pairs so beautifully with the message, but it also hit very personally for me too, and I know I've talked about it before, about like kind of my issues with struggling with anxiety, and the weird thing is like, sometimes I'm just so anxious about everything. And it's like to the point just because I like everything to be in order and I like everything to fall in line and I feel like I need to know the answer to everything and I'm always trying to understand and I'm like, God, if I don't have it in plain writing, I don't really get it. But we're in this journey of faith and understanding and sometimes we have to lean in and just trust in him. And the reason this song kind of really hit me is because I have like this symbol that's really just meant a lot to me in this battle with anxiety. And for me, it's been an anchor. Maybe you see me wear it on a necklace or sometimes I have anchor socks on or something, but I do that as a reminder that my anchor grips and holds the solid rock, that there's nothing that can shake me. There's nothing that can cause me to waver when I trust and build my foundation in Jesus Christ. And that's the beauty of this song and the beauty of this message. As we understand, if we build our firm foundation in him, we don't have to worry at all. The Bible tells us to worry about nothing but to pray about everything. And I love this next part in the song because it talks about how sometimes storms come and the winds blow. But the good news is my house was built on you. So I didn't go anywhere. I didn't build my house on worry. I didn't build my house on anxiety. I didn't build my house on shame or guilt. I built my house on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And so as we sing this, I want to let you know when you build your foundation on Jesus, you're safe. You're going to make it because he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. That's the promise that God gives us. Amen. So let's sing this next part together. Yeah. And rain came, wind blew, but my house was built on safe with you, so I'm gonna make it through. Can you sing that with me? Rain came. Rain came, rain blew, but my house was built on you. I'm safe with you, so I'm gonna make
Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. Everything around me is shaking. I've never been more glad that I put my faith in
Anybody beside me want like another hour of that? Wow. Um, you know, we start with a question, you know, Jesus asking, why would you call me Lord and not do what I say? And then we answer that last song was a prayer. It was, it was spoken to Jesus. So if you, in your heart, you, you went along or maybe you, you sang the words as well. What, what we said to Jesus was this. Here's our answer. We will build on your love. We will build on the foundation of your love. It is a firm foundation. And that's all we want to say here at Kensington over and over again is let's build our lives on the one thing that's certain and solid, and that is the love of God and the love that he has for us. Because that's a life that that's a life and a house that will withstand everything. Great joy in that. So I hope you find that this week. Um, I'm going to put it back up on the screen. If you didn't get the number down, I put it in my phone. I'm going to go along on the journey. I'm, I don't even know what they're going to be sending me, but I look forward to it. Just, just reminders along the way this week to build our lives on that love, on that foundation with Jesus. And then next week, we're going to pick up the next story. Uh, Adam's going to teach on Matthew 18, the story of the parable of the ungrateful debtor. It's about forgiveness. It's powerful. So we invite you to be back with us next Sunday. God bless. And by the way, we have prayer down front every, after every service. Please come down if you need prayer. We'd love to uh, pray with you today. God bless. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.